in today's world, it's pretty easy to get off track and get pulled off of our path of trying to walk with the Lord. But the good news is, is that the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, they will be forgiven. Please join me with this morning's prayer confession. God, you know us, and we come before you seeking your forgiveness and mercy. You know the words we spoke, the attitudes of our hearts, and the motives behind the actions we took this week. As you know, some of it wasn't so great and God-honoring. Forgive our foolish ways and restore unto the joy of our salvation that guilt has choked. Help us overcome our sinful ways and live like you in all our ways. This we ask in the Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Our guidelines for living this morning comes from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's continue to celebrate, and if you can, please stand with us and sing with us the praise songs.
Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege that we have to give to you. And Lord, the privilege that you give us to be able to take time and be holy, to walk in your ways and to live in relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this, and I pray that you bless these folks as they give to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we come to you as a people of God. And the people who are concerned about this great country where much freedom and much joy that we have is our concern. We pray especially, Lord, for the pullout that came out of Afghanistan. We pray for the many men and women who are still left there. We pray for a church whose loved ones are in mourning today because all the people in that church were executed. 
We pray for the Christians that are still being persecuted in that land. And for having an app on the phone of a Bible could be killed. I just pray, Lord, you to be with those people. Be with our brothers and sisters there. We pray also for this nation and for the challenges that are ahead of it right now. The effects of the hurricane, all those who've lost loved ones in the flood who've drowned it, for those who've lost homes and valuables, Lord, and, and so much. We pray also for the fires out on the west coast. We pray for the foundation of this nation. All these things are concerns for us, Lord, and we bring them before you, and we know that you're God who's in control and knows exactly what's going on and what is needed. We pray also, too, for the Brown family who lost their son, Brady. I just pray that you bring them comfort and strength. I pray for the congregation in this city this yesterday who lost their pastor to COVID. I just pray you'll be with them as they mourn and the loss of their pastor. Dennis Turner. We pray also for our brother Frank, who is battling um, to breathe, Lord. And I just thank you that I saw him yesterday and he's doing better. I pray that you'll be with him. We ask you for your healing there. But if not, Lord, that as he walks through into eternity, that you'll be with him, that you'll be comfort to his family, give them strength. We pray also too, Father God, for our family, Lucille, who has illnesses and for Kay and for her healing and for Howard who had a um, spot on his head removed and for Betty and her knee continuing to heal. I pray also for Joyce and I pray also too um, for our brother's wife who's uh, struggling, um, Lord, with a stomach condition. I pray also too for um, a brother who's got back problems and for also for Joyce and Mary who are struggling with their backs. We pray also, too, for uh, the Davis family and the struggles that they are having in their grief. Pray for the family that I dealt with the other day who found their uh, uh, wife um, dead. I just pray for him as he grieves. We pray also, too, for others that are on our list, Lord, that is so long. You know who they are. And we pray we lift up now by name anybody that knows someone that's going through a difficult time whether it be marriages or whether it be um, uh, troubles with their work or trouble with their children. Jesus, we know how big a struggle that can be for families. Lord, hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. And now, Father, open up your word. Take this word by your Holy Spirit. Make it come alive to our hearts. Help us to hear and see what we need to hear and see. Help us to realize the power of it and the great joy that we can share in it and the joy that it brings to our lives. Speak, Lord, now. Your servants want to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Growing up in New Jersey, I had a mother and father who were very committed to the Word of God. And I can remember we lived in a cold water flat, second floor of a home. We even had to boil the water. My parents had to boil the water to give us baths and to give themselves baths. But God was very good. My mother and father were very committed to the Word of God. And every day at 5.30 in our home, after supper, we would sit down and have family devotions. 
And what it would be is someone would read a passage and either someone would speak about it or we'd read a devotional about it and then we'd pray about the needs in our family. And one day, I think I was about seven or eight years old, and my brother was probably about five. And our father had said to us, now boys, there was a garage, and then next to the garage was this big field. And we'd play baseball on it all the time, but he said, do not throw catch in front of the garage. Because, you know, it has those nice windows, little windows, and he says, don't ever break one of those windows. Well, sure enough, we were practicing, waiting for the other kids. And one of us, I'm not going to say who, threw a ball that got lost and wound up in one of those windows. And it broke. And so we were in, got our friends and we were all running around fixing it. And we were thinking, maybe they just won't see it. Well, my father got home at 530. And as soon as he walked up the stairs, the phone rang. And it was the landlord who lived right across the street. Now, his Cadillac was parked in it, but it didn't hit that side. It hit where the neighbor parked his car, and his car wasn't home because he was still at work. But my father gets off the phone and says, boys, who broke the window? You ever been with a bunch of thieves who are not going to admit anything? It's kind of like when there's a shooting in a bar, and there's only space for three people in the bar, and there's 400 people in that bar are in that bathroom at the same time because nobody's seen nothing. So we're not admitting to it. And so my father says, okay. Well, as we're going along, he tries to keep on prying it out of us. And so at the end of our supper, everything was cleared up. We're sitting around the table and my sister's turn to read the devotional. <laughs> and was she aglow? Because the devotional was on Proverbs 12, 22. Let me refresh your memory what it says. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And the title of that devotional was Johnny Broke the Window. My brother and I looked at each other and go, oh. And we sweat for about five minutes through that devotional. And then we couldn't do it anymore. And we had to confess what we had done. I'm not saying who broke the window, but we confess that we had broken the window. Well, you see, God's word is like that. It's powerful, the Bible says. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And as Isaiah 55 here is speaking to a group of people who really feel God's abandoned them. And yet now, God has told them that it's time to go back. Cyrus, the king of Persia, had overrun Babylon, who took them into captivity, and they were down in Babylonia, and took them out of Babylon, and said, now you can go back. In fact, I'm even going to give you money to build the walls of Jerusalem. I'm going to give you money to build the temple, and go ahead and do it. And they were paranoid. They really didn't take God at his word. And today, in this passage, God is speaking to us about his word. And how important it is to our lives. And how important it was to the Jerusalem people and the Jews of that day to trust God and to believe in what he says and take him at his word. And so this morning as we begin, we see that first God gives us this great invitation. And he's given this invitation for the children of Israel to go back. 
That same invitation means quite a bit different for us today, 2,700 years later. But it was the same one because he was talking about the 53 in chapter 53. He was talking about this Messiah that will come and relieve and forgive us for all our sins. And so we have this great invitation that God gives. He says, ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And why do you spend money for which is not bread and for your wages for which is not satisfied? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in its abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may, have, may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies of David. What God is saying here is each one of us has this opportunity. Israel had the opportunity to go back and build Jerusalem. And also the walls and also the temple. And that God is continually speaking to them to fulfill this. But he's also talking to another age, us 2,700 years later. Because of Jesus Christ who died and he wants to satisfy our souls. A lot of people are not satisfied in this life. It seems to me that the more we have, the less people are satisfied. And we see that in our world continuing. And notice what he says. Come to me and I will... Take care of your thirst. You know, that dryness. And what he's talking here about is spiritual dryness. And people are looking for so many things to satisfy them and give them joy in their life. And he says, number one, he asked a group of people who can't afford it. People who don't have any money. Who can't buy it. And you see, this is the total reminder of us of God's grace in our life. But then he goes on further to the people who do and who can spend. He says, why are you spending your money on all this stuff? And you're still not satisfied. And then he says, I promise you, the mercies of David that are eternal for you, that you can share and enjoy in the new covenant of David. And this he's talking about is when David was asked God to build the temple earlier on. And God said to him, no, you're a warring king. I don't want you to build it. But I want to establish from your line a wonderful eternal kingdom, which will be from your lineage, which will be Jesus Christ. And David was satisfied that because God had answered them. And what we find in our society today, do we not? Do you find it even not in your own life? Now, sometimes we struggle with being satisfied and being whole. And yet God promises us the satisfaction. Oftentimes, the satisfactions we grab and we buy and do and things what we want, and yet we're still not satisfied. I was with a guy the other day. And I was sitting in this car that he had for over a year. And I said, boy, this is a beautiful car. I, I really like it. I, my wife had one of these one time, but, you know, got old and stuff. He says, oh, yeah, it's a great car, but guess what? I wish I would have waited another year. You're just satisfied. Because I have more trinkets in it, more things I can use in it. And I'm like, whoa. But you see the dissatisfaction. And what God provides for us, he says, look, I, you don't need money. You just come to me and I'll satisfy your soul. I'll give you not only what you're thirsting for, the quenching of your thirst, but I'll also give you milk that sustains you. And bread that's a staple for you as you walk through life. 
Quit trying to satisfy yourself with all this other stuff and buying all this stuff that will not bring you that delight. But I will give you me, which will bring delight and an abundance for you. That's what he's saying here. And notice what it is. He gives a universal invitation. He says, behold, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. So he's talking about Jesus Christ. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows not will run to you, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And what he's saying to Israel, you see, Jesus Christ is going to be born in your kingdom. And there are going to be people who will come from all around to find him, to hear him, and to seek him, because he is the one who's going to be the deliverer. He's the one who's going to satisfy your soul. And notice what he says here. It's these people, you're going to be satisfied with him, with me. And the person that doesn't have anything and the person who does have anything, they will come to Israel to find out about this Jesus Christ. And of course, we know who came first which was the Magi who came. They had a lot of dough and they had a lot of things going on and they came to find out about this Jesus and he says, they're going to come to you and then they're going to bring you and they invite you to see him for who he is. And so that you can find satisfaction for your life. You see, how many of us sometimes find our life is dissatisfied? Think about it. There are times that I've been dissatisfied with what I've had or what I've done. And I'm not happy with it or things I've done. Think about this. Has achievement brought you to ultimate satisfaction? Have your possessions given you ultimate satisfaction? The collection of satisfaction or relationships brought you total satisfaction? Or your experiences? No. In fact, if you want to ask yourself a diagnostic question on what you're wanting to be satisfied with, fill in this blank. If I had blank, I would be happy. Think about that. Are there things that you would fill in that blank? Are you content with your relationship with Jesus Christ? And you notice here, he speaks about there's a time limit. That there's a time in which we will be and there's a time that it runs out. Look at what he says again. And, and he says to us to come, to buy, to be satisfied, to enjoy our Lord and be refreshed in him. Because that brings us eternal satisfaction. And notice what the promise is. He will abundantly pardon us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You see, there's a time limit God gives us. Call upon him while he's near you. When you're going through that crisis or you're going through a difficulty, come to him and cry out to him. And then forsake your past. Get rid of it. Let the unrighteous man throw out his thoughts. It's amazing what goes through our mind and what's in the depths of our subconscious life that we don't even realize. And where those thoughts come from. Some days I sit there and go, where did that thought come from? And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. 
And to our God who will abundantly pardon. He just doesn't wipe out our sin. He abundantly washes it clean. He washes it clean and he covers it over so that God sees us in his holiness of Jesus Christ. And that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways. Your ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, the reason why we're given this word is because we realize man's thinking is tarnished. Our selfishness tarnishes our thinking. Our sinfulness tarnishes our thinking. And we do things that are not what we think are in character to us, but we wind up doing them anyway. Paul's dilemma in Romans chapter 7, he says, the very things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I want to do, I don't do. What is wrong with me? It's because we're sinners. And we don't have God's thoughts all the time. Think about this past month when there is a chaplain who's elected the head of the chaplains at Harvard University who's an atheist, doesn't even believe in God. I mean, seriously, here's a school that was started to raise ministers and preachers of the gospel and has delineated down to the point now the, one, the head chaplain of that school is an atheist who doesn't even believe in God. Talk about man's thinking. How easy it is in our own thinking that we become depleted and depressed because we've been thinking too hard on our own self and we have getting beat up or we get discouraged. I graduated from a 33-person class of ministers. And within the first five years of my ministry and their ministry, 10 of them dropped out of the ministry. They were depleted. They were depressed. The things that they had learned, they didn't work, and they were trying to figure it out, and they just came so discouraged, they wound up selling everything from Anway to being in business for themselves. David felt that. David was depleted. He was de 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 dejected because here he was supposed to be the man of God and Saul the king who he tried to do everything to help Saul. He, Saul wanted to kill him because God had told him that David was going to take his place rather than his son. And Dave was in Ziglag where he was given this place by a king by Achish because he had his own city because he respected David. And David was going to go to war with him. He said, no, the generals say, no, you stay home. So that when he went back, here's Zitglag where they were staying. Their women were taken out. The city was burned. And David became discouraged because his men were turning on him. He was very depressed. And it was at that point, the Bible says that David refreshed himself in the Lord. He was dejected. There are times that you may feel that in your own life, and it's at that time you need to admit that you need help. You need God to help you set it straight. You need to fall on your face, and as the Bible here says to us, that confess our sins and then give ourselves to fully trust in God who will satisfy our thirst. And listen to what David says at the end of all that. I sought the Lord in Psalm 34. And he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. 
Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. It's at that point when David comes to the Lord and he seeks him. He confesses and he asks God to replenish him. And he gets that replenishment because he's tasting of the Lord's goodness. He's reminding himself of all the things that God has brought him through and how God is lifted up, how great a God he is. And he sees him for who he is. And he realizes that his problems are not that big of a deal to God. God's got him. And he's trusting that. And he gets refreshed in news. And he joins in the gladness of the Lord. So that he can get back into his leader position and really do the job. But what it means is calling on the Lord. Realizing there's nothing you have to give him. And then coming to him and forsaken and confessing and say, Lord, I haven't done this right and I need you. And then turning to him for rescue. And to realizing his thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways aren't his ways and you need his ways. You know, it's amazing to me how in our own society today we can see that. We can see man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. We see some of the selfish and sinfulness come out in our society. I was reminded of this the other day. Back in 1968, President Johnson put in a welfare bill to help people get on their feet and have enough time and money to get back on their feet and get an education so they can go and do and become productive members of society. And instead, what did we get? We got 74% of the black population in this country today are coming from single father families, single mother families. And the man is no longer the husband in the house, the provider, but the federal government is. It's tragic. And it's 60% among the Hispanics and, and it's whites is now 25%. You see what the human heart does. It doesn't take advantage of the opportunity, but takes advantage of it. We see that with this COVID. How many people had to sit at the, a restaurant and just listen, wait for food to be delivered to them from a waitress? Wait, why? Because we helped out a lot of people and gave them extra money in their check, in their unemployment check, so that they can be taken care of. And what did they do? They didn't want to go back to work. They're making more money rather than working. And so they stayed home. Or take landlords who gave grace and rent, even though they still had to pay their bills. And what happened with them? People don't want to pay their bills. Now they have to go through the eviction process, even though they gave them grace for all those months. You see, this is man sinfulness coming out. Not everybody did that, but there are quite a few who've done. And it's tragic. But this is the sinfulness of man. And God says we need to forsake those ways. We do it in our own lives. Here the Bible speaks to us and says, 
You seek the Lord. You come to Him for help. You confess your sins. And you ask Him, what do you want me to do in this situation, Lord? Oh, there's many people with many opinions to help you. But what does the Scripture say? What does the Word of God say to us? You see, God wants to pardon us. And his thoughts are higher than our ways. There's a huge gap. Tremendous gap between our thinking and God's thinking. God's thoughts are pure. Ours are often impure, selfish. The reality is, there are many people who, theologians, philosophers, who've come along and said, well, I know what God thinks. Directly opposite of what the scriptures say. Think of Shirley MacLaine and the New Age movement. You think of others who brought in Martin Scorsese and his thoughts that have infiltrated our world. Men and women, young men and women don't even know about God. God's infinite wisdom is so much greater than what we could ever put together. I can remember when I was in high school. Before I came to high school, I used to hate to go to church. That's my day to sleep in. (laughs) I used to not want to go to Sunday school because I learned about lessons. And my teacher in that class, he was awful. He made us not only do a lesson, but then memorize a scripture that we had a quote in front of the class. (sighs) Who? Made me so angry. And grudgingly, I can remember Saturday night when my brother was watching pro wrestling with my dad. I had to be in the other room doing my Sunday school lesson. And I was learning scripture. But let me tell you something. (laughs) God knew what he was doing. Because I remember the day the light turned on in my head. That I needed Jesus as my savior. And I can tell you, when I gave my heart over to Christ, that night, and for weeks after, I'd be in bed and my mom would say to me, babe, you got to turn your light off. You got to go to work, get up to school tomorrow. I'd be reading scripture. And those verses would be jumping in my head. And I would be so thrilled because I just didn't know them verbatim how to speak them. But I knew what they meant. And it meant so much to me about his salvation to me. And made me a heart come alive to the things of God that my heart was dead to, even in memorizing those scriptures until the day that the Lord turned the light on in my heart. I was listening to Candace Owens who was a commentator for PragerU. She had a similar experience in her life. She's now a very um, uh, prolific writer and speaker for Prager University and stands up as a black woman against the BLM, Antifa, and she's fearless. And she speaks about not making blacks 
victims, but to see that those things that happened to her, and even her, who had some very bad experiences happen to her because she was black, not becoming a victim, but realizing that was an event that God had put into her life through his providence, that to make her stronger and better and to overcome rather than become a victim. And she said what really helped her, her mother and father were so poor. There was addictions in there too. And they had come apart. And so this little dysfunctional family blew apart. And she wound up at her grandfather's house. And grandfather would get them up at 5 o'clock in the morning before school and have Bible study with them. And sit at the end of the table after breakfast and open up the word of God and preach to them. She said, boy, when I was in junior high and high school, I really hated that. But it was the only road in town. And she said, I had to admit that I did learn from that. And she said, one day, God threw the switch. And I realized what that was all about. That God's word had come into my heart and gave me this burden and said, you've got a mission in this world, girl, to fulfill for me. You see, that's God's word. When it takes a hold of us and we realize that the gospel has taken hold of us and it changes us. And here, Isaiah is not only speaking to people who don't know the Lord, he's speaking to us. Let that word every day get a hold of you and change you and regenerate you and cleanse you and make you new. Because this world keeps on trying to dump to you all the baloney of the world and all that wrong thinking, not God's thinking. And wants to set us free. He wants to give us that abundant pardon. And give us hope. I can think of Odie Bachman. Some of you may have heard of him. And the regenerating word entered into his life. Bodhi Bachman was brought up by a Buddhist mother. Living in South L.A. Gun violence all over the place. Drug addiction. And by the grace of God, God protected him from all that and came to know Jesus as his savior. And today is a very prolific black preacher, six foot eight, played football, all that. And God uses him on an international level and uses him for the glory of God. And what it was, was the word of God changed his heart and made him new. And we don't have to be victims to our sin we don't have to be victim to our temptation. We don't have to be victim to the devil or the world system or our own temptations. This word of God promises us to give us victory. And that it will bloom inside of us if we allow it. If the Holy, allow the Holy Spirit to come and open up his scripture to us every day, it will change you radically. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to them without watering the earth and make it bare and sprout, furnishing seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. And I will not let it return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and what out succeeding in the matter which I sent it. You see, God's got a special place for the word in your life and it will change you radically. And as we give ourselves over to that, it will give us the life that we need to change. It waters us. It refreshes us. It brings forth good things out of our life. 
It sprouts, as it says. It gives even seed for the next generation. And then also that it gives bread to the eater, sustenance. It's the seeds of life that God wants to bring to us. And that notice what it says. It's going to accomplish what I accomplish, what I want to accomplish. This is God's sovereign will say, no matter what, it's going to do what I want it to do. There's nothing that can hold it back. As he says in Isaiah 46, I am God and there's no other. I am the Lord and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. God has it all planned. And it's all purposeful. And even the negative things that our good friend Candace Owen said that happened to her began to be the building blocks to be used by God to be a change agent in our society. And if you notice, he says, not only will it accomplish great things in you, but in the world. Why we have such a great nation is because we had godly men at the beginning of it laying down the foundation that now today people are trying to erode. They built this on scripture. What a powerful nation has become. This great Western society was affected because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that went out and accomplished what God had intended it to do. And so he says to us, and notice what his focus is. His focus is us and our joy of enjoying our relationship with him. God plans for us our own peace. God is planning for us our happiness, our joy. That we don't have to give ourselves into this world or the things of this world. For you will go out in joy. And be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. And the trees and the fields will clap their hands. We will have such an eternal joy in heaven. But we can start doing it here and now, that joy. And instead of the thorn bush, will come a cypress bush. And instead of a nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord. For an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Whoa. What is he saying here? Back in Genesis. What would happen to us when we work? Man worked after he sinned. The Bible says work will now be labor. It will be hard. Thorns and thistles will get in your way as you try to harvest. But look. That thorn was on a crown on a man who went to a cross. Those thorns were on his head as he hung out on the cross. And those thorns will be broken. And that instead, release and joy when he said, it is finished. Your sins are paid for and you have an eternal home of hope. Coming with his word in your heart. And that your joy in following Jesus. Your joy in obeying the Lord and his word. Will be a memorial to the Lord. You're going to be his sign to the world. An everlasting sign that God will not 
be cut off from him ever. And you're his forever. And what he is saying is that we are the hope. You and I, we're hopeful people that we rejoice in our hope. Do people see you oozing with that joy and hope in your life? Do they see you as a hopeful person? That when you're a hopeful person, you're going to be patient with other people. That's when you know God's word has gripped you. And you can be patient even though inside you're saying, I wish this person would hurry it up. Come on, come on, come on. And you're at peace with that. You're not impatient. Or you're able to love people even when they're so unlovable because you have this hope and joy in Christ that he's your peace. Not whether my circumstances go in my way or that this person's acting a certain way. I was attacked this week, hurt deeply by somebody. But you know what? It was wonderful because I could rest in the hope of God and still love that person even when it was, I was struggling. I could give him over to God. We can love the saints. Hopeful. That we know we have this bold witness we can tell others about him because we have this hope inside of us. We have a confidence inside of us that no one can ever take away as we go to him and we learn his ways and not our ways. And it's amazing what that can do in your relationships, inside your own heart, in your feelings, in your thoughts, when you start thinking and understanding God's ways and how his spirit changes your attitude and your thinking and the way you react to people because you have this hope that exudes this joy of God in your heart. Back in 1945, a, a newsman with a camera went by the name of Clarence Hall to view the American forces in Okinawa. And as he went about, he went to different communities, little huts, and he saw some of the places they were drinking and womenizing and divorce and all kinds of things going on in these little different villages. And then he came upon a village where an American missionary before the war was at and had given the Bible 30 years earlier to two people, old elders of that community, and they took the word and they shared it with the people of the village and they began to implement the word in their lives and do the things that the Bible said. And here, these villagers were totally different than all the other villages they had been to. Because those villagers had Jesus. And those villagers were people who cared and loved. They concerned about their neighbors. It was a beautiful, he thought it was utopia. He'd never seen a place ever like this before in his life. 
You see, because Jesus and his word took place. The same thing happened with Muti on the Bounty. You should read that book or listen to it on tape. And if they're truly follow the, the real story about it, how one man took a Bible out of a crate who was a, a person who did mutiny, and it changed his life and the people in the village, and there was decency, prosperity, harmony, peace in that village because of the word. You know, there's some denominations who said some of their theologians have said that the Bible is a dead book. <laughs> oh, how foolish they are. Because in the word of God, there's a power. In that word that taken by the Holy Spirit transforms all of us. That's why it's so important every day for you to pick up the word of God and read. Even if it's a verse, let it change you. Because the Holy Spirit will make that come alive to your heart. Because the Bible promises here, folks, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return empty, but will accomplish everything God desires in your life. Will you trust that? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for those precious promises of your word. We thank you for your word because it's what makes us come alive. It's the Holy Spirit that takes your words and makes them come alive to our hearts and changes us, transforms us, makes us into new people. Lord, I just pray that we can go out with joy today. As we read your word and we study it, we know what you want and we want to live that way every day in our life because we know that's where life and joy and peace are. Help us, Christ, as we leave here today to do that. In your precious name, I pray this. Amen. At this time, we're going to share in the communion service. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dearly beloved in the Lord, that you may receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Let everyone examine himself in heart and conscience whether he believes that God's faithful promise that his sins are forgiven him only for the sake and passion and death of Jesus Christ and whether he purposes henceforth to show true thankfulness to God in his whole life by walking uprightly before him and living in love and peace with his neighbor. For all those who are thus minded, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of the table of his son. We're also to consider that in the instituting the Holy Supper, the Lord Jesus Christ gave us a remembrance and a pledge of his love and faithfulness towards us. Doubt not that Christ himself will as certainly feed and nourish our souls unto everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood as the spread is broken and the cup is given and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. Let us pray. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has heard these words of yours and that they will want to live for you, Lord Jesus, today, they can say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. Forgive my sin and give me eternal life. 
And for this, Lord, we prom you promise that you will come inside and change us and make us new by your word. Help us all, Lord, to appreciate your word every day and use it to change us and not become part of the victims of this world. But be standing bold ambassadors of the joy that you give to our hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we come before you now, work in our hearts and reinforce into us this forgiveness that we have by what we take right now as a remembrance of what you did for us. And it's in your name I pray this, Christ. Amen. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he took the bread, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us on Calvary's hill. Amen. In like manner also Jesus took the cup when they had supped he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
a tremendous reminder that all our sins are washed away because of what Jesus Christ did. Oh Lord, what a blessing that even in our brokenness in this life and our dissatisfaction, you fill it all. But what you did on the cross for us washed away our sin and gave us the wonderful hope of eternal life. Help us to live joyously and with peace in our hearts every day, knowing that you've done this for us and that we have the victory. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we share in the Apostles' Creed and we make the statement of our faith to what Christ has done and what we believe in. And then we can close with the benediction. Please rise. Let's join together and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Onward.